0: Welcome back to the Gather Moms podcast. We are in episode 85 and we have been talking about help, all the things that we need help with. Really, this whole um, season could go on into eternity. I was thinking about the other day, like, how does this end? I don't feel like we ever get to the end of the
1: questions. (laughs)
0: But really what we're getting all of our material here from is like, you know, what you guys have told us that you want help with. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about help. I want to be closer to God. And so, uh, you know, I think that's something hopefully
1: we all want to be closer to God. I don't feel like any of us have reached the like ultimate. Wouldn't that be funny if you met someone? They were like, yeah, I'm there. Done it. Done. Achieved it.
0: Check. Check. Okay, so my my question for you today, Rebecca, though, as we get jumped off, is what do you want to be closer to in this moment right now? My (laughs) bed.
1: Can it be ten thirty in PM so that I can be snuggled in my PJs, ready to close my eyes and go to sleep?
0: That'd be great. Uh, I think that sounds great. I would like to be closer to a nice um, cup of coffee and a porch. That I can sit on. That sounds so romantic. In the sunshine without having allergies.
1: Oh, yeah. You allergy people, y'all struggling. It is terrible. Absolutely terrible. When Greg sneezes in my house, I feel like a bomb went off. (laughs) It makes me angry. Does it ever make you angry when people sneeze? No. When Greg sneezes in my house, I'm. Because it's it so disruptive. Yes, it sounds so bad. But I literally anger wells up within me, <laughs> and it makes me mad because it's so loud and it's so violent. Yeah, I don't like it. <sighs> okay, so the uh, uh, problem we're having in our house is: Do
0: you have to tell your kids to blow their nose? Yes. Uh, see, I don't understand this. Why am I having to tell you to blow your nose when you're when you're speaking? I can hear how congested you are, yes. and like it's wanting to come out. And I love to blow my nose. I
1: love to blow my it's nose. It's like freedom.
0: Yes, and they're just like, uh-huh. like, you you know, they're just sniffing, and you're like, that means something
1: is wanting to come out, and you are preventing it, and I hate when they go get a paper towel to blow their nose. I don't know if this bothers anybody listening today, but paper towels were not meant to blow your nose on. Yeah. That's what you clean up a spill in the kitchen with. Well, my kids have to use
0: it if I, if I, if we run out of Kleenexes. No, no,
1: do you know how thick and scratchy that paper towel is? <laughs> your nose does not want that all up in its business. It wants the soft Kleenex. Go find a Kleenex. What if you don't have any Kleenex? What's your next alternative? I always have Kleenex, y'all. Do you really? It is blowing my nose is one of my favorite, cleaning my ears and blowing my nose oh my are two of my favorite things in all the world and to use a Kleenex literally brings me joy. Joy? I love cleaning my ears. I love cleaning my ears. It it
0: is such an underrated <laughs> lovely moment of my day. <laughs>
1: feel like i'm breaking a law because i feel like anytime you read about cleaning your ears you're not supposed to put a q-tip in your ear yeah so i'm literally breaking the law every time i clean my ears yeah it's like rebellion and joy all at the same time
0: that you know that's really great that's so funny because i think about that too that like oh you're not supposed to clean them every day they're natural blah, blah, blah. i don't care no
1: i have so much wax in my ears
0: yeah, okay, listen to this. Listen, this is a real rabbit trail. But the kids, I don't keep Q-tips in their bathroom. I right. just keep them in mine. Mine too. So Caleb came in the other day, and I was like, I was using my Q-tip, and I was like, hey, have you done this in a while? Why don't you clean your ears out? My man.
1: <gasps> but was it not so exciting for you to see all that gunk come out where you were like, yes, you're doing it. But
0: it's like orange-red.
1: Oh, girl, yeah. That's like, some nasty gunk. What is happening?
0: And the he had to use boys. like eight yes. Q-tips.
1: Yes, yes. Like I want to post that on social media because I think it's so amazingly wonderful, but it would gross people out.
0: It's it's really disgusting, and then you
1: would start a whole firestorm of you're not supposed to use Q-tips in. Your I ear. know I use the what's that thing that sucks the wax out of your ear? <laughs> wax or, sucker? Yeah, or they have like
0: like drain things that you are you like a candle? You put it over? Have you ever seen? Oh that? my gosh, you put a candle in your ear? Uh, well, you lean your head over and then, because it's wax, right? So then it like melts it and it makes you it drip out of your ear. Yeah, I think that's what the OG organic people hippies do.
1: Seriously. I kind of want to try that. <laughs> I'm not kidding right now. I kind of want to try that. That would be fun. I'll let y'all know how it goes.
0: <sighs> okay, well, hopefully you feel closer to us from that uh, little pe- peek into it. <laughs>
1: That's right. We're <laughs> sure, sharing all kinds of things. We get to then. what
0: our lives look like right now. Um, but I, I think this is something, you know, as moms, we particularly struggle with um, because our lives change drastically when we become moms. Um, our time changes. And so we want to be close to God, but it's like uh, practically what does that even look like? You know, and, and how do I do that with with what my schedule looks like? And so I just wanted us to talk about what's worked for us, what hasn't worked. And I wanted us to start by going way back. To when you and I kind of started spending time with God, the the first time we did, and kind of what that looked like. We're gonna just go about this a few different ways. So I have some questions for you, Becca. So do you remember the first Bible study you ever did?
1: So the first one that I have vivid memories of is we it was early in marriage, I didn't have kids, we had bought our first house, and we had just bought new furniture for our study. Okay. And so I would go into my quiet time in the study every morning, and I had a strawberry Pop-Tart. I would toast my strawberry Pop-Tart and bring it into the study with me and do my Bible study. How cute is that? And the Bible study was called The Virtuous Woman, um, Shattering the Superwoman Myth by Vicky Courtney. Wow. And it was a spiral-bound book, which I loved because it laid flat. Yeah. And opened it. Uh-huh. You didn't have to hold the page open, you know? Like you have to prop it open now when you're doing Bible study and it laid flat. And I remember being super consistent, but I was also in that like, you know, dream world of a life where you're just married, no kids, everything is like romantic and fun. And you can eat Pop Tarts. I I I can eat Pop Tarts. (laughs) I was not worried about the amount of sugar in that Pop-Tart because I don't eat Pop-Tarts no more. Did you spend time with God in high school or in college? If you did, what did that look like? I did, but I just don't have vivid memories of like a specific Bible study I did. I journaled, but I don't have, I don't know what it was about that moment in our marriage and my life when I was able to spend time with God consistently and like love it, look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, miss it when I didn't do it. Okay, cool. Okay, good. I love that. But I had so few other distractions in my life. Yeah. It was, I don't want to say easy. Sure. But It was easy compared
0: with life now. <laughs> well, yeah. So, f- so for me, I remember, um, I, I started spending time with God in high school pretty consistently. And I don't remember the Bible study that I did, but I remember reading this book with my sister and it kind of had like, like, um, workbook stuff at the end of it, at the end of each chapter, and it was called Lady in Waiting, Becoming God's Best While Waiting for Mr. Wright, Which every college girl wants to read. Yeah, well, so it was hilarious because my sister who was in college was reading it with me. I was 15. She was 21. You're going to be waiting
1: a long time, Kate. (laughs) long time.
0: (laughs) So I read that with her. So it was by Jackie Kendall and Debbie Jones.
1: Oh, Debbie Jones. Yes. Okay, so in college, wait, I'm older than you. Yeah, just a little bit. Well, I'm turning forty-four. You just turned forty, four yeah. years. I might have been in college by this point. Okay. We were we had a women's ministry on campus called Sage Women's Ministry. And I remember we brought her in. I don't know if it was chapel or if we did like a women's event, but we got Jackie Kendall. I don't think we got Debbie. Okay. But we got her to come to our college campus and do it with our ladies on campus. Awesome. Wow. Really? Yes old school that's amazing i'm pretty sure she came to one of our like apartments on campus yeah you know you've got mismatched furniture and nastiness everywhere that's so cute (laughs) i wonder what she thought of all of us well
0: i you know that i mean it was amazing for me so then i ended up then the next year i led my girlfriends
1: yes and we all read oh at the age of 16 yes okay (laughs) let's wait now we're a year older we're getting closer (laughs) Uh, that was a trend book. Like, I remember when that kind of hit the market and the Christian girl world and everybody read that book.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I felt like it was really good because so I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so for me to read of like what a Christian woman looked like, what dating looked like, what, you know, how I could... Prepare myself essentially to like be a woman after God that would want that a man after God would want to marry like these were all concepts to me, dude, that were completely foreign. So to read that book and be like, okay, read it with my sister and get a hold of it, and then lead a group of
1: friends. That's awesome
0: to read it. You know, I can
1: still remember what the cover looks like. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: I I demolished that book. I hope I have it somewhere in a box.
1: I was just thinking that. I wonder if I could find all these old Bible studies. You probably do. You're so organized. Y'all know me. There's no telling where that Well, is.
0: I keep them for a long time, but then... So, like, for a long time, I had a stack of Beth Moore studies that I had done, you know, because they were just such That's treasures. an accomplishment.
1: I feel like you need medals for doing Beth for Moore For each studies. one. Yeah. Like, really, that, that is an accomplishment.
0: Well, but... And so, I think a lot of us, you know, grew up in the era of when she was in the heyday of putting out these Bible studies, right? Um, I remember doing... The Beloved Disciple it was about John. It was amazing. Um, you and I met in a Bible study where they were doing the um, the journey through the Psalms, stepping up the Psalms of Ascent. That's where you and I met. Y'all listen,
1: we were talking about this before we got on here, and I was like, I don't remember what the Bible study was.
0: I remember. <laughs> of course I do. Rick has no memory. I did to live as Christ, Philippians. I'm scrolling through all
1: of these. There's like this
0: chronological. And it you was like win.
1: A- I did not do that many Beth Moore studies. I was so intimidated by the amount of homework. Really? <laughs> I could not keep up. So for me, my
0: heyday with Bible study was college because I had so much time. And I remember sitting in my little bunk in my dorm and just sitting there and just spending so much time in the word, memorizing these things, doing the work she asked, doing
1: the extra work you know? Oh, of course you did the extra work girl. You were like, I mean, I am extra work, like bring it on. I'm going to do it.
0: Yes. So I loved it, you know, and then I got married and I, I want to say things for me were similar, right? I kept doing her studies and you know, her studies were intense. It was 45 minutes or an hour, but I had grown up in that same culture, um, and probably that's, I feel like that's what we were taught. So if there's moms listening that are around our same age or a little older, a little younger, that was kind of the messaging of our Christian, you know, spiritual development was you need to be having this quiet time with God and it's supposed to look like prayer and Bible study. And, you know, good Christians They're doing that for like 30 minutes to an hour. 100%. That all sound accurate? Yes, completely accurate. Right? Yes, yes. And these were kind of the hallmarks of like, this
1: is what that's supposed to look like. Well, and I think it too was also part of that era where you were not, I mean, kind of earning your relationship with God. It was like, if I spend an hour with God, I'm going to get something. Uh He loves me more today. Uh Mr. Wright's about to walk through that door. Uh Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
0: But so then, then that all falls apart because then you become a mom <laughs> and this time that you had set aside in the morning for like, you know, this, okay, I've got my hour where I'm going to earn God's favor, you know, whether we're really realizing that, that, that we're trying to kind of make this exchange with him or not, or checking off this box, we yes. feel like we're supposed to check or whatever. Yes. Um, you know, then, then it's like, oh, my, how I can't, I cannot do that anymore. And then what inevitably sets in.
1: Shame, guilt, shame and guilt. I am not worthy. Right. Why did God even give me children? I'm probably not even supposed to be a mom. Right. I'm going to screw them up.
0: Exactly. It all breaks down. And then we think that there are these women who are out there still doing this, you know? And so we just Well, because it's usually
1: a woman farther along in her motherhood journey that has actually gotten her children out of the crib and diapers and has more time in her life. Yeah. And we're looking at her thinking that's how it's supposed to be for us. Right. We ain't there yet. No. And so it's just like, you
0: know, so then we either have the response of just like to walk away from it completely or to continue under the struggle. And so, you know, I want us to talk about that thing because the thing is that spending time with God is good, right? It is. It's like any relationship. If you want to have a good relationship with someone, you've got to spend time with them. You have to learn about them. You have to listen to them and you have to be willing to share your own heart. Right, If you yes. want to have a good relationship. Yes. But not only that, when we spend time with God, it's like meeting with a counselor who not only shows us the way, but then equips us with what we need to go the way he's telling us to go. Yes. Right? Yes. So it's this amazing, beautiful thing. Um, and as moms, I think we know we need Jesus to do this mom thing well, right? That's one of our, like, tenets of gather
1: moms. Is I think the beginning you don't. I think when you first have that okay. baby, it is all about proving that you are worthy to be that baby's mom. Like, I got this. Okay. I'm going to figure it out. Yes. I don't need nobody's help. Okay. And I think you very quickly drown. Okay. Right. And then I think when you're drowning, you don't even know you're drowning for a while. You're just like living in this abyss of like, I never sleep. I never eat. Uh-huh. My child cries. Uh-huh. I don't know why. <laughs> And then it's, I mean, so many moms, it's like the moment they figure out they are drowning and they actually reach a handout for help, everything starts to change. Everything changes. So if you're a mama and you're drowning right now and you didn't know it, you're drowning. Yeah. (laughs) Call out.
0: Call out for help. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and call out to Jesus, you know, because you're right. We do. I mean, that was my story for sure. was to try and do it on my own. But I think we have moms in two major camps. Well, maybe three if we have a drowning mom. But we have ones that love God. But don't know where to start in spending time with him. Right. So maybe their story was more like mine. Maybe they didn't grow up in a Christian home and that wasn't modeled for them. Right. Or they don't have any mentors that are modeling that. And so, you know, maybe they go to church or, or something like that and they, they love God, but they're just kind of like, gosh, it, well, how do I even spend time with him? That feels overwhelming to me to even know where to start. Yes. Or um, we have moms who are struggling with trying to have a quiet time as they were taught to do. Right. Like we talked about. And they just can't seem to find the time. And both camps feel guilty and overwhelmed. 100%. So I want us to talk a little bit about this concept of a quiet time. Because I remember learning about it as a kid. You learned about it, right? Like we were taught this whole idea um, growing up in youth group. But I did a little research. I was about to say,
1: who came up with that word? Okay.
0: So quiet time is actually a relatively new invention of the late 19th century. It was coined by the Christian and Missionary Alliance Movement. By the 1940s, it replaced the Anglican concept of the morning watch. The morning watch was kind of its predecessor, and it focused on prayer requests. So the morning watch taught that you got up 30 minutes early and you sat sat, and you brought prayer requests to God, and you talked to him.
1: I love that term, morning watch. That's cool. Yes.
0: But then the new quiet time focused on Bible study and meditation. So there was this ministry called Inner Varsity um, that really reached college campuses. And in 1945, they put out a booklet called Quiet Time. And that's what popularized the term among evangelical university students. And the term went mainstream when Billy Graham started using it in the 1950s during his crusades. (gasps) No way. So if you can imagine this whole quiet time concept that for so many people who are Christians who've been walking with God for a long time, it's kind of part of our vernacular. Yes. But in truth, you know, if we look at the whole Christendom, you know, of Jesus living, dying to now... This is a very relatively new concept. This idea of a quiet time. That's fascinating to me.
1: Fascinating. I did not know it like that's like 50 years ago. Well, 70. I know we always think
0: it's 2000.
1: I I always think it's 2000. Plus 20. Y2K. Y2K.
0: So that was just, that was 70 years ago, you know, that that was implemented. And I think that we can see that, you know, there's a lot of good things about that. You know, I wonder if some of that came out of um, there was a lack of biblical literacy. And so probably they were pushing, you know, for people to to not just be praying as they talk to God, but to um, be reading their Bibles so that they, they were more biblically literate. Um, but I think there have been some consequences that have resulted out of this concept that we don't necessarily see in the Bible the way that it's been taught to us. Correct. So I found this blog post by this guy. I have no idea who this dude is, but he had this all spot on. His name was Frank Viola.
1: Well, hey, Frank. Uh, yeah, what Welcome up, Welcome to the
0: podcast. <laughs> so he pointed out three main problems with the modern concept of a quiet time. And number one is guilt. And that's just what we talked about. So he kind of said it that there's this cycle that people go through where the pastor says, hey, you need to be having a quiet time. So you go home with resolve, and you get a Bible study, and you get a journal, and you set your alarm, right? Yes. And you spend this time with God every morning. And you're able to do that for maybe three days a week. Yeah. But then the next week, you start skipping some days. Yep. And the accompanying feeling is guilt, right? And you fall off, and you fall off, and you fall off. And then you hear another sermon, and they say, (gasps) I can do it.
1: Yeah, try again. So you just muster up all your resolve. You dust that you probably get a new journal because I was always like, oh, that's from the last time (laughs) I need a new one so I can start fresh. (laughs) And so literally you have 25 journals in your house that have never been finished. So
0: real, so real. And so it's just this, this, the driving force behind it is this guilt thing, you know, that I need to be accomplishing this. But then the guilt is also what keeps us from continuing because it's just this pressure. The second thing that he says is a problem is that the quiet time ends, and so does time with God. So basically, we've gotten it in our minds that this quiet time is my time with God that day. Right. So we have that 30 minutes, or for the really super Christians, hour. We close our Bible, and then we also close our conversation with God. Yes. Because the concept being taught is, this is the time for God each day that you've set aside. Not what We actually see in the Bible of this all encompassing, he fills every minute of every day. Yes, right. Yes. Well,
1: that's where you kind of compartmentalize your life. Yeah, you have like this goes in this spot. Oh, done with that. Okay, moving on to the next spot. I'm going to work. So right. that's my work spot, eight to five. Right. Then you close that down, you go home, dinner spot. Right. Yes. You yeah, all these little compartments.
0: Yeah. And so it's just this that's it. That's where it ends. It terminates see tomorrow
1: morning, gun. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I
0: remember somebody, I mean, some well-meaning person saying that it was like God was sitting in the chair waiting for you to meet with him and you pass by.
1: Oh, that's that little You remember look. that whole thing? God's house, my home.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. And that racked me with guilt to no end. You know, it's like, it's like I see Jesus sitting there in the chair like, hey, Kate, I see you going.
1: To- <laughs> <laughs> Don't go get that coffee first. What are you doing? Come here. Come here. Wait, God, I got to pee. And then no, it's we like, don't got time for that. Get over here. And then it's like he's just sitting there waiting for me in that chair all day.
0: I <laughs> 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 just feel like, no, that's no. not. We don't find that in the Bible. Okay. And then number three, that it grows stale because it's just the same, it's just this kind of monotonous I wake up, I read the study, I journal, I go. I wake up, I read the study, right? Yep. And we also don't see that in the Bible right we see god interacting with his people in a myriad of ways and so 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 the quiet time just kind of yes the whole thing just breaks down a little bit
1: and um, is it really ever quiet in And that's the I think that's the other main
0: issue is that like is it quiet? And I really do okay, here's the thing. I don't want moms to walk away from this conversation thinking, Oh, well, they don't think that I should ever spend time with God. No, we're gonna like
1: Oh, we did not say that.
0: Right. We're we're gonna that's not true. We're gonna actually get to like then actually then what the beautiful way that this should look. Um, because I, I do think that we actually are going to talk about how we see this in scripture, how Jesus modeled this for us. And I loved us doing good morning gather because I am getting up and having more regular times, um, where it is actually quiet yes. with me and God. But I just want to be really honest about the fact that man, even f- five years ago, th- three years ago, I don't know that the rhythm that I'm in right now with the Lord in the morning would have been a feasible thing for me.
1: Oh, 100%. Yes. Seasons of motherhood provide different opportunities. Yeah. And you have to be aware of where your window is mm-hmm. and take it. Yeah. Because it's not the same for every season. And I think this last little round where we did Good Morning Gather, I feel more freedom uh-huh. this time around. Okay. Because my morning with Jesus, it's not every day. I definitely miss some. I'm not on this perfect trend. And it's not necessarily the same. Yeah. Yeah like this morning, I just got up and prayed. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just feel this like yearning in your soul just to go talk to God. I think there's a freedom in that quiet time model where it's like you had to do these three things for it to be effective. Right. That I feel this freedom now going, no, but this is pressing on me today Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go do this. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So let's go through and talk about, so he listed these three main
0: problems, right? Guilt, The quiet time ends on itself, and then it grows stale. So let's just talk through those few things. Okay. So the first one was guilt. Um, And he said what you kind of mentioned earlier. He said that you feel guilty about missing a quiet time because you're unwittingly basing your worthiness before the Lord on your work instead of His. You've accepted a man-centered narrative that puts you at the center instead of God's narrative. And if you get clear on the value of the blood of Christ and what makes you worthy in God's eyes... You'll be forever freed from a guilty conscience when it comes to any religious or spiritual activity. Correct. <laughs> he said, the fact is God loves you exactly the same regardless of how often you pray or read your Bible. His love for you isn't based on any of those activities.
1: No, that's so hard to grasp. But so freeing. But so freeing when you do. Yes. You know? Yes.
0: Like, he doesn't like me more or less or take care of me any better or less based on if I'm checking these boxes. That had been set out for me that didn't even really come from him. Right. It's almost like a pharisaical legalism thing of our day, of you have to do these things to be a good Christian. And I feel like that's one of the areas where Jesus would be like, no, excuse me, what are you talking about? I, I never put this burden on my people.
1: No, and God didn't come for the good. He doesn't want us to be good. <laughs> he yeah. wants us to be holy. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be real hard to do without the power of
0: Jesus. That's right. Yes. So then the second thing was that it terminates on itself, right? That it's just, we have this time with God and then it's done. I think when we actually look to scripture, what scripture says is it talks about pray continually, give thanks always, right? There's all these scriptures that talk about that he wants so much more than just some 30 minute a day thing that we can check off our list. He wants to live in union with us as we do everything, That our lives would be in worship to him and calling out to him um, in a beautiful, synchronous way that doesn't feel like something else to do.
1: Well, and that's that whole idea you said about Jesus sitting on the chair waiting for you. That's the idea that Jesus is separate from me. Mm -hmm. So in order to meet with him, I have to go somewhere to find him. Mm -hmm. But scripture tells us the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So I'm not separate from Christ. I'm actually with Christ all the time. All the time. So it's not that he has a compartment of my life. It's that he has my whole life. Yeah. So I can't just shut it down at some point and leave him at home in the closet. He's going everywhere with me, whether yes. I like it or not. Yes. It's whether or not I'm tapping into that, you know, friend right there sitting next to me all the time. That's
0: right. He's there. Yeah, that's so good. And then I think the third thing is that it grows stale. Um, and I think that's a very real deal, you know, but we serve a big and creative God who wants to connect with us in so many ways. Again, this well-meaning idea of a quiet time just really falls short of that, uh, because. It, so, what it made me think of was there's this really great book, and it's called Sacred Pathways by Gary Chapman. Have you ever? I mean, Gary Thomas. Have you ever read it? Nope. So he talks about that um, that people have a natural inclination to potentially connect to God in one way or another that feels more spiritual to them. yeah. Um, And so there may be people who connect more with God on their own. There may be people who like really notice God's presence when they're worshiping with a group of people. And so if you're feeling stuck and you want to think about some new creative ways to connect with God, I highly recommend this book called Sacred Pathways. And I just want to read for you, and mom's listening, I want you to think about as I read up, the, he, he calls out nine. So I'm a, there's a list of nine, so hang in there. But I want you to think, like: Does do any of these connect with you immediately? Number one are the naturalists. They love connecting with God out of doors. So these people are going to hate sitting inside of a room and reading the Bible. They're going to want to go outside, go for a walk, be in nature, sit on their back porch, and talk to God or, or read the Word. Um, sensates love... God with their senses. So when things are beautiful, when they smell well, they smell good. Things like that. Um, Traditionalists, loving God through ritual and symbol. So these may be people who are going to go to a more traditional type service. Whereas for me, I go to some of those things and it feels like, it might feel like rote or that it's divorced from spirituality. There are so many people when in fact, that is actually the most beautiful spiritual thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a huge movement actually toward back toward the Anglican movement. Yes. Because there's this beauty in this these sacred acts that you do within the body. Yes. ascetics love God in solitude and simplicity. This would be like monks, you know, or people who really like to be alone. That sounds like a nightmare to me. I was about to say. But there are people who want to go on a like silent retreat.
1: Okay, now a silent retreat sounds amazing. Could you not talk to somebody for 24 hours? Yes. Really? 100%. Yes, I could totally do it.
0: (laughs) Activists love God through confrontation. Caregivers um, love God through loving others. Enthusiasts love God through mystery and celebration. Contemplatives love God through adoration. And intellectuals love God through their mind. So just for something for you to think about that – there are other ways to meet with God, and that this prescribed thing that we've been handed, you know, whether for you it feels like a foreign concept of like, oh gosh, I don't even know where to start with that, or for you it's become something that's this guilt mechanism, either way, I would love for us just to kind of dismantle that and say we actually don't necessarily see in Scripture um, that example. Here's what we do see. We do see this example for, from Jesus. So here's Mark one thirty five. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Okay? So you see that? How beautiful? It's that solo, you know, wanting to be alone.
1: Well, we don't know where he went. Right. Did he go to a bench? Yeah. Did he go to a park? Did he go to a hill? (laughs) Did he go to the temple? We don't know. Right.
0: Um, Luke 5.16 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6.12 says, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. There's more of those examples too. We see the example of David who would like adore God in um, creation. You know, there's just so many examples of how people interacted with God. David talks about meditating on God's word day and night well, that blows this thirty minute quiet time out of the water.
1: Yes, it does. You
0: know, what does it look like to meditate on God's word day and night? So I just think there's a difference here in in, in what we're expecting. And this is the other thing I would want to say. I once I got a hold of the Lord and got to know him, you know, as a fifteen or sixteen year old girl, um, it was when I finally really like surrendered my life to Jesus. And I wanted to do all the right things. And so I did. I read all the Bible studies and um I was so faithful to to accomplish what I felt like was a quiet time every day. And I even had a checklist in my journals, and I would check off exercise, Bible study, right, to make sure I was doing the things I felt like I was supposed to be doing. And that worked for me for a really long time until kind of what you talked about, Rebecca, when I became a mama to our second Lydia. And, you know, I really felt like I kind of had this thing figured out. Even with Caleb, truth be told, he was such an easy baby. He followed the books completely. I really thought I might be the perfect mom. Like maybe I was the only one who had actually figured this thing out, you know, because he was doing everything right. You know, at seven weeks old, he was sleeping 10 hours at night. What? Yes. He was meeting all the milestones at the right time, you know? And I remember during this time, I wouldn't have characterized it in this way, but looking back, my relationship with the Lord was really just on autopilot. I went to church because I was supposed to. I read my Bible because I was supposed to. You know, I played worship music because I was supposed to. But there were secret sins inside of me and things that I was doing within my home, things I was watching, music I was listening to, things I was saying, you know, that would have been evidence that there really wasn't a change happening in my heart. It was more just in my behaviors, the things I was doing because I was supposed to do them. And it was only then when Lydia came along and she had a milk and soy allergy we didn't know about, that for the first year and a half of her life, we didn't sleep through the night. And even when she was a year and a half old, we were only getting four hours at a time. She would wake up and cry, you know, as we were trying to figure out what was causing her so much intestinal distress. And I remember I would get up in the mornings and just be like, okay, here we go, you know? Yep. Kind of just grab myself on my bootstraps and be like, okay, let's hit it again. Here we go. And I remember the Lord meeting me on my bathroom floor one morning where I just fell to my knees and I said, God, I just can't do this anymore. Like I really thought I was going to run away. And I remember saying, I can't do it anymore. And it it was one of those times where I really felt like I audibly heard him say, good. Mm-hmm. I love you so much. I allowed you to come to the end of yourself so you could realize how much you need me. Yep. And that you never were supposed to be trying to do all this on your own or check off a box or earn my favor. That's not what a relationship with me looks like. Yep. And it was in that same time that someone handed me a book called The Gospel Primer, and I read about a man who had gone through a similar experience, and he started looking back at the Gospels, and he realized that the Gospel wasn't just good news for the unbeliever, but it was the good news for the believer, That the same power that I had to cry out to God for to save me was the same power that sanctified me, is what made me holy. The same way I couldn't clean myself up to get a relationship with God, I can't clean myself up every day. Exactly. (laughs) That any act of wanting to be with Him or be near Him or read His Word, that only comes from the same grace that saved me. You know, that that's God working in me. And so there just became a beautiful moment where I just kind of laid down my striving. And I in particular remember reading this it was from John Bunyan. And he said, run, John, run, the law demands. but gives me neither feet nor hands. And man, that's how I felt like I was running with this law of like, this is what you're supposed to do, but there wasn't any power behind it. And then the next stanza says, better news the gospel brings. That bids me fly and gives me wings. And it was me going back to the gospel and saying, God, would you bring me back to my first love? Would you help me understand the way that the gospel power could transform me? And Becca, I started to see how Paul, you actually, when you read his epistles, he's writing to Christians, right? But he always starts out by reminding them of the truths of the gospel. He always starts out by saying, Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. That's where you get your power. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. We actually always see in the way that Paul frames his epistles that he starts, and it's always the first one or two, sometimes even three chapters, are filled with gospel indicatives. And then the second half of the, go- the letter is the gospel imperatives. So gospel indicatives are what is true about you. And gospel imperatives are what you do in light of that truth, right? So he never starts out and just says, you're supposed to be doing all these things. Because We do when we find the epistles, it's like, this is how you're supposed to live. But how we're supposed to live always comes out of what has already been done for us, right? This power that we have to live this way. That's right. And I think so many of us are living divorced from that power, We're living like we're supposed to be lamps shining and we're not plugged into the source. There's no, there's no power coming to us. And so we're like these dumb lamps sitting here on a shelf, like turn on, turn on, do what you're supposed to do. And Jesus is saying, just, just plug into me, the outlet source, just abide in me, just rest in me and I'll do all this through you.
1: The thing that you're, as you're talking, I just keep thinking about is that phrase I heard a long time ago, motherhood is sanctifying. Mm -hmm. That part of what is so beautiful about being a mom is it brings you to your knees. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter how many books you read or how many times you sleep train or how quick your kid potty train or how great your teenager is, you always find an area where you are not successful because you are trying to do it out of your own strength. Yes. And in motherhood, it brings you to your knees to go, God, I don't know why you made me a mom because I do not feel great at it today. Yeah. But guess what? I didn't make myself a mom. I did not create life in my family, whether it's through life in the womb or life through adoption or life through foster care. God, you're the one that initiated that. Yeah. So if you initiated this idea that I'm supposed to be called a mom, then you're going to initiate the power I need to be a mom. Yeah. And so as moms, we, we need to remember that just like the gospel saves us, motherhood also allows us to constantly be in need of a great God to fill us with what we need to be a great mom for that day. Mm -hmm. It has more to do with Him than it has to do with me. Yes, it's a beautiful opportunity to abide closer to the
0: Savior, to be further sanctified. Every time our kid, you know, is disrespectful or steps out of line or we can't keep up, it's a chance for us to lean further into our Savior. And so as you're listening to this conversation today and you may feel stuck, I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself a few questions. Here's the first one. Am I spending time with God out of guilt and obedience and not a longing to just be closer to him? Am I not spending time with God because I don't know where to start? So as you kind of just ask yourself those questions and you look at this, you know there's this longing in your heart to be connected to God. I would just challenge you that the answer is not to try to do more for God, but to just rest in what's been done with, for you that you would, in this moment, as we wrap up this episode, that you would cry out to God, that you would share your heart with him, that you would tell him how much you love him, how much you long to know him more, and that you would ask him to just show you what it looks like to spend time with him in a way that he has prescribed and not necessarily that what has even been taught to you or what that even looks like, that there would just be some freedom there, for you to have a relationship with God that's beautiful and intimate and close and that brings restoration and healing and blesses you and your family. And I'm going to put some resources in the show notes of some devotionals and books that have been especially helpful for me finding freedom in this topic. Um, But just as we close out, I would just challenge you not to do anything else before you just stop and say, God, I want to be closer to you. Show me what that looks like. We love you so much, moms. We are so glad you're with us today, and we'll see you next time. Bye, moms.
1: One easy way you can help another mama is by sharing this podcast with her. If you have laughed, been encouraged, and gotten help here, would you take a moment to share this podcast on your socials? Text the link to a friend and leave a rating and review. Thanks for your help in getting the word out to mamas about this space we've created just for them.